In this episode of the Trade Busters podcast, we're going to be capping off what I've been calling the masterclass series of my podcast. So this is going to put everything together that we've learned up until now, all of the individual strategies, the concepts from credit targeting to expectancy hacking, sizing your trades and putting them all together into a comprehensive portfolio. And if you haven't already, be sure to listen to all the previous episodes before coming back to this one. Just a quick disclaimer before we go on. I'm not a financial advisor and everything on this podcast is for informational purposes only and not to be construed as investment advice. Now, as I mentioned already, this is essentially the culmination of all of the lessons I have learned over the last few years, all the little nuances and pitfalls and just how I've arrived through various iterations and tinkering with my strategies um, and this kind of, you know, up until now, you've been getting bits and pieces of, of ideas floating around in my head. And this episode will, will let you see the bigger picture, uh, and which is why I titled this episode Endgame. Now, the main focus and objective that I want to be able to do with my trading system is essentially to beat the market every year consistently, year in and year out. And I know what you're probably thinking. This is you know, going to sound kind of like an outlandish claim because so many people claim that they can beat the market every year, you know, the best hedge fund managers and the best traders. But you know, um, people who can do this consistently are are very few, right? And I know it probably elicits this kind of image of the online gurus who make these outlandish claims. Um, and, and you know the old adage, if something's too good to be true, all right? If it's too good, it's probably not true. And And the idea here is, you know, with them or with these scammers online or these online gurus, you know, if they make an outlandish claim like, you know, double your money every month or make 100% a year or, you know, kind of these get rich quick schemes and for them, those claims, <laughs> if true, would in fact be very good, right? They're too good, which is why we kind of assume uh, they're not true. But with what I want to do, you know, to beat the market, the reason I don't think it fits this statement is not because of the to be true part, because I do believe it's true, but it's more because it's not, in fact, too good, right? Because, in fact, you know, what is beating the market, right? If you think about it, you know, because I haven't told you by how much or under what circumstances, you know, maybe the market's, you know, up 20% and we're only up 21. We're only beating it by a little bit, which is still beating the market. Or the other case, which is the one most people might not think about is, you know, what if the market is down 20%, right? The market's down 20% and I'm only down 19%. Well, you know, that's still beating the market, right? And the thing about it is this, a lot of people who, you know, I, I hear online, you're traders or someone who's having a tough time, and they're like, why am I going to spend all my time trading if I can't even beat the market, right? In this case, um, uh, to clarify, beating the market in this case, um, you can basically just beat any kind of benchmark. And the most common one is going to be SPY, S&P 500. Honestly, it can be anything and we can talk about that. But it's just that's that's kind of the, the widest um, one that people, people look to. So it, inevitably, regardless of what your goal is, you know, because... People who have been um, trading successfully or people who just have a very aggressive goal, they're going to be like, well, why are you going to spend your time trading just to benchmark yourself, right? You're going to try to make as much money as possible. And that that's okay too. But again, there's not necessarily inconsistency there. And so inevitably, regardless of if your goal is to beat the market or benchmark against SPY or not, inevitably, you're going to compare to it, right? Um and then and that's just a kind of funny thing about this. So um, 
with my strategies, for example, uh, people have asked always like, you know, how much can you make? And, you know, I haven't really gotten into that that much yet. You know, I usually talk about in terms of like return on capital because at the end of the day, it's it's based on how big you size your trade, right? The more you leverage, the more you, you know, the bigger your trade, the more you can make, right? And the more you can lose as well. Um, but I've kind of mentioned that for, for my three income strategies, you know, the two to three DTE, the seven DTE and the 45 DTE, depending on, uh, you know, whether or not that year the market's accommodating, you can expect about 20 to 30% return on capital, okay? So 30% is on the high end, 20% is on the low end. So, you know, maybe in the 25% range. Now, even at that point, you know, I would never recommend, you know, going 100% allocation on any of these strategies, right? So, you know, on 20 to 30%, if you allocated 20, you know, 100% capital, which again, I'd never recommend you do, the most you can make is 20 to 30% on your account. Now, even if you were to do 80% allocation, for example, that means that with 20 to 30% ROC, at best, you're going to make 16 to 24% return a year on the account. And after tax, depending on your tax bracket, let's just say you have a 20% you know, tax bracket, that 16 24% means after tax, you're going to make 128 to 19.2%, which is, you know, it can be good or, or not. You know, the 12 is okay, 19 is good. But, but again, you know, obviously we know that, and granted we've been in this bull market, but, you know, there's been years where the market's up 20%, 30%, right? And there's been years where it's down 10% or 15% or it's, where it's zero, right? So given that, you know, now I'm telling you that what even with the kind of the, um, conservative estimate of the ROC at the eight, you know, at a pretty aggressive allocation, you're only going to make you know 13 and 19 percent after tax. How can I say that we can consistently beat the market? Okay, and that's because I have a secret weapon. Actually, it's a weapon that everyone has, and really not so secret. But what's secret is kind of the way I'm using it and the way I'm uh, my mindset and approach. Okay. And that is, if you think about it for a minute, you know, the market itself, right? Again, we're talking about SPY here. It can be kind of anything. But let's assume that it has a compound growth rate, right? Annualized compound growth rate of 10%. Obviously, that depends on the period of time you're looking at. Because, again, some years it's up a lot. Some years it's flat. Some years it's down a lot. But let's just assume 10% for illustrative examples, okay? So that means if you just bought and held SPY, you know, the index fund, or you can buy SPLG, something that tracks the S&P 500, and 100% allocation, okay, just fully invested, you're going to get, you know, that 10% growth rate, for example. But if you have portfolio margin, okay, the fully invested, so just an example of $100,000 account, you bought $100,000 of SPY, right? No cash left, fully invested. That fully invested index fund, you know, core portfolio, let's call it, it's only going to use 15% of your capital. Essentially, you're going to have 85% of your capital left to trade options, right? So if you think about it, you know, I've said that my strategy is 20 to 30% return on capital. But if you can buy and hold SPY and get 10% compound growth rate, right, 10% on your whole account, while only using 15% of your capital, guess what? That's 66.66% return on capital. Easily double to triple the capital, um, the return on capital of, of all of my, my option strategies, right? 
Now, here's the thing. Again, coming back to the goal of what we're doing, right? If you really want to make beating the market your goal, and again, I'm not saying this is the only approach. There's clearly other ways you can do it. But if you want to do it in a way that I feel is consistent and it's actually achievable, right? And you don't mind drawdowns, right? Again, because if you're fully invested in the market, you're going to have, by default, the gains and the losses and the drawdowns and all the volatility of holding, you know, the, the index funds, right? But if you have a long-term horizon and, you know, most people are probably investing for the long-term and, you know, investing for a growth long-term is going to be different than investing for income, right? If you have a large account, you want to invest for income, you want to have low volatility and you just want to do, you know, income strategies that are stable and probably not going to try to make that high of a return, right? The, the income you make may only be five to 10%, right? If you have a million dollars, five to 10% is 50 to $100,000. Maybe you're fine with that. But again, if, if you want to make it your goal, you know, to beat the market, for example, right? If you buy and hold SPY, uh, using, again, the example of 10% compound growth rate, right? Without any options and any leverage, no nothing, just vanilla buy and hold, 10% compound growth rate after 10 years, you're basically going to have a, um, <clears throat> well, actually, for this example, I, I, I did some notes earlier. I'm going to be a little more conservative. Let, let's just assume you got 9% compound growth rate, for example. 9% compound growth rate compounded over 10 years is a return of 136.7%, okay? I just took 1.09 and just compounded 10 times. Now, let's suppose on top of that, you're using the you know, option strategies, whatever it is, just to generate a little bit more, you know, outperformance over that core, right? Just kind of add some alpha. Now, uh, sometimes I throw around the term alpha for outperformance. I'm not using it in the true mathematical sense because the actual formula for alpha it takes into account your beta relative to the benchmark and there's some other adjustments. But just for illustrative example, uh, inst um, illustrative purposes, and, and just so I have something you know quick to say, if you want to generate 5% alpha per se, right? So 5% alpha, meaning if your base is 9% and you add 5% on top of that, so your compound growth rate is 14%, now, when you compound that 10 years, rather than 136.7% return, you're going to have 270.7%, right? So that means over 10 years, you're going to get 134% outperformance over the market just by adding 5% to your return every single year. Now, if we kind of walk that back, what do we need to generate 5% alpha? Going back to what I said about the strategies, for example, if you're getting 20 to 30% ROC, I'll just say 25, just to use an average. So if you're getting 25% ROC and you want to generate 5% alpha, you only need to use an additional 20% capital, right? Because if you're using 20% capital and you're getting 25% ROC, you're going to get 5%, right? So think about this. We hold SPY long-term, it's going to use 15% of your buying power. You spend another 20% 20, um, 20 buying power doing these option strategies, right? So you're only using 35% capital and you can get, you know, potentially in this scenario anyways, 14% compound growth. And again, not that the 14% is, is that great, but, you know, people who really have this long-term mindset and if your focus is on consistency, 14%, 15%, 16%, that's actually pretty good if you can get that consistently and not, 
you know, have like a big drawdown that permanently, you know, take a, takes a big loss. Um, and if you want to step up a, big, uh, uh, a little bit more and let's say you want to add 10% alpha, right? I'm just kind of giving a little more extreme example because honestly, I don't even think I would want to go this high. But if you want to add 10% alpha, for example, um, in that case, you only need to add, you know, 40% capital, right? So 40% on top of your 15% base for, for the index funds, right? So you're only using 55%, so a little bit more than half your capital. So you really have a lot of wiggle room to go, right? So the idea is that using the index fund, right? Let the market do a lot of the work for you, right? Now, you don't have to, when you trade options, right? People get into options because they want to be, you know, active investors or self-directed. They want to take a, you know, take control of their finances or whatever. It doesn't have to be all or nothing, right? It, it it's always seems to be, you know, passive investors versus the active investors, right? Why not just blend the two, right? Get the both of, get the best of both worlds, right? So if you have the passive return as a base and you're using the active return, you know, on top of that, you can kind of combine the two. And this is what I was getting back to with that core, you know, whatever benchmark you want to beat, right, or outperform against, it, it doesn't have to be SPY, right? You could hold QQQ as your core. You could hold, you know, IWM. You want to have a small cap, you know, as your core. Or you can do a blend of them, right? It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, the point is you can have a core portfolio and trade the options or i mean this is the definition of trading around a core but this just kind of contextualized a little bit differently this has been kind of my approach and i want to just do a little bit of let me just run that example where you know if you really did 10 percent right and again assuming the market has the nine percent compound growth rate so rather than you know 10 uh, the nine percent compound on 10 times i'm going to do 19 percent, right so because nine plus ten so 1.19 compounded 10 times is wow <laughs> let me make sure i did that right because the number is really high 1.19 compounded 10 times 469 percent return anyways that that's way beyond what i kind of would ever expect so i just want you to see the power of incremental gains but compounded over a medium to long-term horizon right so that right there that's the secret that's the big picture and that's kind of how i've constructed my portfolio i'm not going to get into the exact um numbers in the mix um because i don't want people to just kind of copy that you can take this and kind of make your own and do whatever allocation you want and i'll talk about allocations a little bit because again the strategies that i've been you know going over in these episodes is for larger accounts and again if you want to use this approach of the core plus options portfolio you're gonna need you're gonna need that portfolio margin right because otherwise you're not gonna get that efficiency of capital of holding the the core index funds so you know let's say you've got that established right whatever your core is fully invested and you know you don't have to even do a full core right you can do you know half invested or quarter invested again the core can be whatever you want it to be based on your assumptions of the market or whatever your thesis is um but for me it, it always just comes back to you know people get cute or you have these different ideas and you're like i want to short it or i want to do you know less long delta because i think the market's going to go down or whatever but again inevitably 
you know, when it's going good, it's fine. But on the year something goes wrong or you just don't do as well and the market beats you, you're just always going to be, even if your goal wasn't to benchmark, you're just, you're going to always mentally benchmark. So, so for me, it just seems simpler. Let's just, you know, have that core be established, make it match the market. And on top of that, you can do what, whatever else. Right. Um, and so the idea here is, let's say you go with that, you know, you're fully invested, you know, you're using 15% of capital, you have the 85% capital left to do all of those option strategies. And, and, you know, we're going back to the last episode with the sizing, depending on, you know, the drawdown risk of the individual strategies. Now you have, of course, the drawdown risk of, of the index funds you're holding, you know, so keep that in mind as well. But essentially, you know, whatever return you want on top of that, you know, split that up into however many number of strategies of the three you want to run. Some people run only one of them. Some people run two. Some people run all three. Um, and you're going to have more flexibility with the larger account, obviously, because, you know, the last episode we went over kind of the minimum capital required per strategy, right? So ideally, if you want to run all three and have the index funds as a core, you know, you're probably going to want like $150,000 to $200,000 account at a minimum, right, with the portfolio margin. So just to kind of give you some ideas. Um, and one other thing you can do, um, if you want to sort of hedge some of that delta exposure, you can, you know, do like a, a tail risk hedge, right? Either use SPX back ratios or you can use, you know, mixed call options. And I'll probably do an episode about hedging at some point. But the idea is you don't have to get too fancy. You know, just have something where you allocate a certain amount. And, you know, if there's a fixed amount you're spending a year, Right. Just just think of that as a loss. Right. You kind of pay insurance on your home or your car or your health insurance. It's something where it's going to curb some of that drawdown if there's, in fact, you know, another COVID crash, another tail risk event. And you're worried about having, you know, that temporary, well, hopefully temporary, right, because you don't want to panic at the bottom you know, that temporary drawdown to your account. Uh, but again, this kind of approach that I've gone over in this episode and um, these kind of ideas are or at least for me anyways, meant to be sort of the longer term, right? Mid to long term investment horizon type of approach. I think at some point I'll do an episode on if you're kind of short term minded or if you're, you know, near retirement or something in the, in the kind of the capital preservation is more important because these strategies can definitely, you know, be made to generate income as opposed to you know, you know, fueling the growth, right? Just about how you scale it, because ultimately my strategies, they're meant to be, you know, I think of them as, as kind of like Lego blocks, you know, they're modular and they're scalable and you can size the pieces up and down depending on your individual goal, right? So anyways, that right there is, again, this is sort of the big picture approach of how I, you know, look at portfolio construction and how I use each of, you know, not just the strategies themselves, but my, what I've come to learn about how options work, how margin works, um, how I use that to focus on a very specific goal. And if you guys have not done so, you know, take a look at my essays. I, I wrote one, for example, on how to make a strategy, right? And, you know, that's kind of a, it seems so simple, but you know, the four questions I focus on is like, number one, how much you want to make? Number two, how much are you willing to risk? Number three, you know, basically how much time do you have? And number four, you know, how, 
kind of in control do you want to be? Do you want to be someone who's always looking for opportunities and trying to, you know, come up with trade ideas all the time? Or do you want to just have something where you just set and forget to do the same thing every time, let the probabilities play out, let the occurrences play out, and just take what the market gives you? And I really believe that with, with kind of my approach and the way I put it together, you know, I think that's achievable. You know, again, you know, if you're fully invested with, with some kind of core, you're going to get the market return as, as your base return. And you just need to add a little bit of juice on top of that, right? And and personally, I'm not sizing up very big. I'm not trying to really ratchet up the leverage. But, you know, depending on risk tolerance, you could, you know, juice your returns a little bit more. So anyways, um, hopefully that you know, helped put everything together. You know, again, if you haven't, definitely go back and listen to the episodes from before. Um, but this should kind of finally make all the little pieces that have been floating around come together into one kind of cohesive picture for you guys. So that's that. And, you know, as always, if you guys enjoy this episode, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It's available now on most of the major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Uh, you can also find more of my content at my trading page at www.thetradebusters.com, where you can find all of my strategy mechanics and trade logs, as well as essays that I've written and other podcasts that I recommend. Finally, you can also follow me on Twitter at TheTradeBuster. That's it for today, guys. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.